Scott's Barnes. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege that you've given us this evening to fellowship in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for life and for giving us each breath. Thank you for every blessing that you've given us. Thank you for giving us clarity on said things. May we never become familiar with them, but realize what they are, expressions of your love in the form of grace. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this evening, and we pray for those that are still lost. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. <clears throat> How does that sound? That sounds a little funny. Check one, two. That sound all right? It sounds tinny. Is it? No? Normal? Just my voice? All right. Oh, you have to forgive me. I am like uh, coughing and um, I don't know. I think it's my allergies this time of year. It's just tough. So uh, thank you, Jim, for my tea. I'm not sure if any of you picked up on the... Um, not so subtle reality that our beloved evangelist Scott Grande uh, seems to have a weakness for things of the culinary sort. <laughs> so we'll have to encourage him, each one of us, by sending him the following verse every so often, John 4.32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. In all seriousness, uh, <clears throat> it was a good point. Because especially in America, uh, where there's a restaurant at every corner, it seems, uh, food is most definitely an idol of sorts in America. Um, people seek it out. Uh, people spend an awful lot of money on food and so um, it's just interesting in America that food is, has such uh, <clears throat> such a sort of preeminent place in uh, our daily activities and you may say well that's merely subjective thinking but statistics really don't lie so I looked at I was just curious and I'm just sharing this <clears throat> food for thought no pun intended in America <laughs> 2015 to 2016 Percentage of adults aged 20 and over, overweight, including obesity, 71.6%. Percent of adolescents aged 12 to 19 years uh, with obesity, 20.6%. Percent of children, 6 to 11, 18.4%. And percent of children, 2 to 5, 13.9%. Yeah, so, I mean... I don't want to spend too much time on this subject, um, but do you think, I was thinking about this, do you think it's possible, um, and take this on your own and take it with a grain of salt, and just think about it in your own time, but do you think, you know, people will hear the word obese and this kind of a thing, and by the way, I'm considered obese, so it's not a, <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I'm fit as a fiddle, but, you know. Do you think it's possible that the shame a believer feels when we become overweight isn't solely a fleshly or social issue? Do you think that's possible? That um, being uh, unfit physically... Is it possible that God doesn't filter out uh, a certain kind of shame? L bear with me for a moment. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.19. 1 Corinthians 6.19. <clears throat> and I'm not trying to oppress anybody. Like I said, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad about having a weight issue or something like that. That's not what this is about. It's just being honest in, in, in front of the Word of God. And the fact that um, Americans have uh, certainly have an issue with food. First Corinthians six nineteen, 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now that has other implications, obviously sexual implications, so, um, you know, other implications too, like abusing your body with chemicals. Um, how about Ephesians 5.29? Ephesians 5.29. And I'm getting to something, trust me, I'm not just trying to bash uh, weight issues. I'm actually getting to something. Ephesians 5.29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And so there's this idea between those two passages alone, there's this idea of the human body and that it is a temple and that we are called to take care of it. And so if food has become an idol of sorts and we count ourselves among the, uh, let's call it the obese statistics in America, um, is there something wrong? And when we have a certain kind of shame, and I'm not talking about the shame you get from your neighbor who makes fun of you when you're in your swim trunks. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the shame you feel about not taking care of your body, not being physically fit, when there's really no excuse. That's what, the, that's what I'm getting at. And the Bible actually talks about the body being a temple of the Holy Spirit and that we ought to take care of it. As a matter of fact, it's not even ours. It's an instrument. It's meant to be, in its highest form, an instrument of righteousness, which means it has to uh, it has to last. It has to have some vi vigor to it and some abilities. Um, so again, the point, I'm just throwing it out here, food for thought. Do you think obesity specifically due to food idolatry and overindulgence is something that causes a certain shame, not just in the eyes of the flesh? Is it possible that God allows a certain shame to exist in us whenever we abuse our bodies? That's the question. Do you think he would allow that through, in other words? I'm not talking about the, the social aspects of being overweight or something like that. I'm talking about you as a believer knowing that your body is a temple of God the Holy Spirit and you don't take care of it. You abuse it. You are physically unfit. That whole thing. Do you think that's possible? I do. I think that's very possible. I think that we're given these instruments. We don't last that very long as it is. Um, we ought to at least make an attempt at physical fitness um, for the sake of the Lord. So is it possible that God allows a certain shame to exist in us whenever we abuse our bodies? And if that exists, does, would that translate at some level into misery? So in other words, if you just constantly overeat and food is your idol, the end goal might just be misery. And it has everything to do with you not taking care of the temple. I think that's possible. Again, I'm not making some hard and fast rule about anyone's eating habits only shining some biblical viewpoint on the sacredness of the holy temple we call a body. Up here on the board, Galatians 5, 22-23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Self-control, which means you don't have to overeat. Self-control. Uh, against such things there is no law. And so that is fruit of the Spirit. And so if, you have, if you're lacking self-control in any area of your life, what do you think the Spirit's going to have to say about that? Do you think it's going to be a pleasant conversation? Or do you think it's going to be an unpleasant conversation? Do you think he's going to encourage unfitness? Or do you think he's going to encourage fitness? Do you follow what I'm getting at? And so that's all I'm saying. And that's between you and the Lord. Uh, you know, on multiple occasions... Uh, by the way, the Bible uses the athletic arena as being analogous to our calling in Christ Jesus. Up here on the board, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 9.27, But I discipline my body and make it my slave, 
so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now, there's other things in view there, but I believe that he's talking about his body as well. How do you make a slave of something that's half dead all the time? How do you get up and go? How would you do? Do you know how far? I think we calculated it one time years ago. Do you know how many miles this man had to walk to fulfill his mission? They didn't have, uh, you know, mopeds and, and uh, cars and all that. He walked everywhere. He was physically fit. He said, I have to discipline my body to do this thing. So why are we any different? If we have the Great Commission on our lives, why are we any different? It's a fair question. For example, if you've got no physical energy left at the end of your workday, specifically because of physical unfitness, what will be the temptation for you when the Spirit encourages you to go evangelize? <clears throat> if you've got no energy because you're basically physically unfit, and you go to work and you do everything for the world, uh, and then you get home and you say, I got no, I've got no more energy for the Lord. I've got no more energy. I, I can hear the Spirit saying, hey, maybe you, you know, maybe you go do this or maybe you pick up the phone and talk to someone about the Christ that's suffering right now. Maybe you do something for others. But if you're physically unfit, you know how that goes. I know that how that goes firsthand. When I become physically unfit, usually it's like every winter, I get in a funk. I've got no energy left. And everything's a drag, and I don't really want to do much. And so the temptation is, based on the pressure of my own physical unfitness, I don't want to do extra work. I don't want to go above and beyond for the Lord. I just want to lay down, take another nap, eat some more Cheetos. I don't eat Cheetos, but I figured that'd make you laugh. Right? You know what I'm getting at? That's all I'm saying. It's just food. For, it occurred to me when I was preparing the lesson. Uh, enough said, I guess. Um, but one more verse. Go to John 4.30. John 4.30. Here's all the food we'll ever need beyond the bare bones basics of nutrition. I think we're warped in America, in other words, like truly. I think, I think we do a lot of things, even plan vacations based on food destinations. That's God the Holy Spirit waking you up. You didn't hear that? No? John 4.30. They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do. Oh, definitely one of my favorite verses over the last few years. My food, my energy source. Isn't this something? My energy source is to do. Listen, people. If you want true energy, then you do. It's that old saying. You want, to get some, you want something to get done, you give it to someone who's busy. It's the same idea in a spiritual life. If you want to receive more energy, if you want to receive sustenance, then go do something, specifically for someone else, for the Lord. That doesn't mean go to uh, McDonald's and pack on another, you know, dollar meal special. It means go do something. If you want to be sustained, if you want to be energized, if you want to leave that misery behind, leave all the idolatry, leave the crutches, leave all the unfitness behind. Jesus said this, my food is to do. That's incredible. My sustenance is to do. That's what sustains me, to get off my and do something. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Um, that's a purpose, right? To do the will of him who sent me. Do you have, have you been sent? Of course you have. Do you have a calling on your life? Of course you do. Um, your energy, your sustenance is to do, just like Jesus. There's your pattern. My food is to do, to fulfill a purpose, which is not McDonald's, not Papa Gino's, not Capitol Grill, 
not wherever it is you like to go and, and stuff your face and become more and more unfit. And the reason the Spirit is saying it's not about, this isn't about social pressure. This is about the end goal. Some of you have a form of misery in you because of what I'm actually teaching right now. Your first turn when you're, when you're, you know, when you're, when you're depressed and you have no energy, what do you do? Time to go to McDonald's. Time to go, you know, time to go in the fridge, get another candy, whatever it is people eat out of the fridge, a popsicle or something, I don't know. Instead of actually doing, and that just manifests again. The end goal is more physical unfitness, more unfitness, more and more, which ends up in greater and greater misery. And all the Spirit is trying to do is break that chain, break that habit. Instead of turning to food or alcohol or sex for some people, all these things lead to misery. Remember your appetite, your God is your appetite, uh, your belly. Filling your belly with all these un things, un unclean things, unholy things. Why don't you turn to doing? That's what Jesus is describing here. My food is to do. My sustenance is to do. That's how I'm sustained. And he was perfect. I'm going to say he was on to something. So my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. The point is that spiritual food is what really matters. Spiritual food is what really matters. And it's also the only kind of food that is able to sustain us in the things we are called to do for Christ. That's the point. It's the only kind of food, spiritual food. What you're getting right now is the only thing that is able to sustain you to do the things you are called to do for Christ. Here's some additional perspective on this, and I'm, gonna, I'm elevating your thoughts now. Think uh, big picture. Transcendence. When something is transcendent and divine, it means that nothing beneath it has the ability to make it falter. Okay? For example, if we're sustained by spiritual food, we don't have cause to seek joy in physical food or any other earthly provision. Because spiritual food is transcendent. Spiritual energy is transcendent. Spiritual sustenance is transcendent. And when we're up here on this plane, nothing down here matters. That's what Jesus was saying. I've got food that you don't know about. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dine on this. And we dine on the bread of life, the Word of God. That's what sustains us. That's where we get our spiritual nutrition from. <clears throat> so when anything is transcendent and divine, it means that nothing beneath it has the ability to make it falter. Again, if we're sustained by spiritual food, we don't have cause to seek joy in physical food or any other earthly provisions. Spirit's just using food this evening as an example. As Jesus said, eating spiritual food isn't what one would expect, rationally speaking, we get this out of the Word of God up here on the board. When we truly live for others, we are set free from bondage to self. Bondage to self, literally, is the same thing as me saying you're miserable. If you're miserable, somehow in your life you're in bondage to yourself. Whether it's an idol called food or an, or an addiction or whatever it is that you're, has gotten your attention, your affections, and therefore your direction, all of that thing, uh, that's what leads you to misery. However, when we truly live for others, we're set free from all that. When we live for others, we receive spiritual sustenance. This came out on Tuesday. When we live for others, we receive spiritual sustenance. 
So I think the idea would be to, be to remain fit in every aspect of your life. Fitness, I've taught this in the past. Fitness is not just about physical, but it's spiritual, it's emotional. It's about mental fitness. And that's what you usually see with people is usually if they're fit in one area, they tend to be fit in most areas. It, fitness is a way of life. And people that tend to be slothful, if you look at their life, they tend to be slothful across the board. And that's just the way it goes. But the idea I think the Spirit's trying to say is that we ought to be fit and prepared to do so that we're sustained. So what, what, is our, what, is, what is our calling in this world? To live for others. Isn't that what we do uh, even for an unbeliever? We bring them what? The gospel. The greatest meal they could ever have. The greatest meal any of us have ever had. The gospel truth. Well, how do you do that if you're not fit? For service. What about the soldier analogy? Do you think we, we you think we send a bunch of 700-pound uh, soldiers into battle <clears throat> and say good luck out there? No, we make them fit. We make them mentally fit. We make them physically fit. We even make them emotionally fit by by hammering them into soldier. What do you think is going on this evening? What do you think this is all about? Yeah. We have a mission. We're on a mission. We have a calling. We have to be fit like a soldier. We are called soldiers of Christ. Last time I checked. We have to be fit for service. And if you just think about Jesus or Paul or anybody, or even Scott, right? Thank God he does this thing to work off all those calories. But he has to go out and walk. Imagine that. To take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Anybody ever been on, besides, you know, a few of us, anybody ever been on a 14-hour flight? It's horrible. I don't know how somebody that's really out of shape manages that, honest to goodness. I get off that thing and I'm like, oh, oh, I'm reasonably fit. I don't know how somebody that's completely unfit could do that on a regular basis. Honest to goodness. They'd be unfit for service. Eventually they would break down. So you have to be fit in all aspects of your lives. I've taught this before. When we live for others, then you're able to truly give it your all, all in, right? Live for others. And that's when you receive spiritual sustenance. In other words, in order to have our spiritual bellies filled, we must give. It sounds backwards. In order to be sustained, in order to be, um, you know, to have our bellies full, to be full to the brim, you give. You want to be totally filled, like, you know, on Thanksgiving Day, spiritually, you give. The more you give, the more you receive. Up here on the board, Acts 20, 35, remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed, happy to give than to receive. And you get filled. That's not human rationalism. That's supernatural transcendence. This is exactly the opposite of what we noted last week up here on the board. Philippians 3.19 in the Amplified, whose fate is destruction, whose God is their, their belly, their worldly appetite, their sensuality, their vanity. Again, you pick your poison. Food in America, big deal. right? It seems like, if I look at the statistics, it's like more than half of our population is obese. Um, sensuality, sex. I still think that's the between sex and idolatry. I don't know which one I think is a, a bigger um, export from America, but or even in, whatever you want to call it, whatever plagues America. It's it's I don't know. I think it's sexuality to be honest with you, because I think a lot of idolatry is a function of sexuality. So there's a big one as well. Worldly appetite, their sexual, their sensuality, their vanity. You could chalk that up to idolatry. You know. Look at me, look in the mirror, uh, aren't I wonderful, aren't I beautiful, aren't I this, aren't I that, so whatever. Whose fate is destruction, whose God is their belly, their worldly appetite, their sensuality, their vanity, and whose glory is in their shame, who focus their mind on earthly and temporal things. The practical ramifications of giving to and living for others 
is simple. And this, was, this came out on Tuesday. Remember, this is all connected. Joy incremental. The more we love and live for others, the more joy we will receive. Being delivered from bondage to self in the process. In other words, if you spend an inordinate amount of your time filling your own belly in an earthly way, you, you lose. If you have certain appetites and all you do is plan your day around satisfying those appetites, you lose. Your appetite should be for the things of the Lord. Serving Him, serving others. Your entire body, Romans 12.1, is your, what, when you present your entire body, your entire life, that is your spiritual service of worship. That's what we're here for. A lot of, a lot of the Bible speaks about duty and worship and servanthood and soldiering. You know what one word you have to have in your life to be able to do that? Fitness. You have to be fit for service. And I believe the Bible teaches the whole gamut. The whole gamut. Fitness is not um, just mental. It's not just emotion. Spiritual is the key. But I believe if you have that one thing, you're led into the others. I think that fitness is a way of life that the Spirit encourages in all of us. That's what I think he's trying to say. Fitness is a way of life. It's a mindset. And I think America is, um, except for the case of vanity. In other words, if you only want to be fit, you know, I wrote a blog on this, something to do with beach bodies or old man strength or something like that. If you just want to look good on a beach, you're missing the point there as well. Look how good, you know, look at my pecs, look at me in the mirror. Well, that's about you, and that's your belly and your appetite in action yet again. This is about fitness for duty. You don't have to be the, a Jack LaLanne. Anybody remember him? Remember him? You don't have to be Jack LaLanne. I, I'm not going to say Richard Simmons again because that caused a big problem, right? <laughs> you pick the athlete. You don't have to be that person to be fit. You just have to be fit enough, right? You have to be fit enough, and that's between you and the Lord. But all I can say is if you, if you can't measure, if you're not doing your duty, if you're not being energized, if you're stuck in some weird, miserable funk because you're you know, overeating all the time or your entire day is wrapped around your next meal or your next sexual encounter or your next TV program, I don't know, whatever it is people do, your next video game, Oh my God, I can't wait, I can't go away. Oh my God, it's G, G, GTA number 14. I can't wait to beat up some cops and throw them on the ground and take their cruises and run them over. And kids like wait in line. The next, oh, the new iPhone's out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to camp out on the sidewalk. People do this. For what reason? I'm going to camp on the sidewalk for, for a phone? What is wrong with people? And then they wonder why they're miserable. How are, you, how are you doing the will of God if you're camping out waiting for a phone that's like almost like a, like a ring, you know, like a ring that goes through the nose of an ox? That's basically what most smartphones are. They just keep getting bigger and bigger, and the, the tether gets stronger and stronger because there's more functionality that keeps you tapped into, guess what, the world. And people are camping out. So what's the point the Spirit's making? Give and we receive back. Keep repeating that to yourselves. Give, and you receive back. You want your belly full? You want to you be ejected from dysfunction junction and all that misery? Instead of giving to your belly and your appetite, give as unto the Lord. Even the next time you go to the gym, or the next time you're on a, a, a treadmill, Say, this one's for you. I'm not lying. I'm not saying I'm anything great. You have no idea how many times I've gone to a gym or been running or doing something, and I say, this sucks, but I'm doing it for the congregation. Swear to God, on, I'm not going to say weird things, but I swear to you, that's, that's the God's honest truth. For you guys, 
I got to stay fit. Because there's going to be times I've been through it where I don't want to be up here. Or I'm physically tired or I'm sick. And because of fitness, I'm able to do it. I'm going to drag myself up here and he uses me as an instrument. Give and we receive back. Just keep repeating that to yourselves. Go to Luke 6.38. Luke 6.38. You know, not everything's about what it can do for you. Most people I know, probably Christians included, they go to the gym, what do they do? They're looking in the mirror. They won't even go to a gym without mirrors. Why? Because it's about them. They're not, they're not working out as unto the Lord. They're working out so they can look good on the beach come summer. That's real nice. It sounds godly. Sorry. Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. Do you see that? There you go. How's that for advice on a nice Thursday evening? Give and it will be given to you. Maybe you go to McDonald's and you grab a hamburger and you give it to a bum. Hey, the whole way you're like, oh. Nobody? Maybe give it to someone who needs food. Might be an oversimplification, but it's a good illustration. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Can you imagine that? That's so not rational by any human standard. Makes no sense whatsoever. We're trained from an early age, you know, to, to, to compile everything and to gather unto ourselves. Given it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. You want to be full, like, you know, Thanksgiving Day, except spiritually? Then give. God's system of rewards is foreign to the human mind. And the rewards themselves are beyond imagination. Up here on the board, Philippians 4, 7, we saw this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just had a funny visual. I'm sorry. It's, point, it's from you ladies, because every time I've ever heard about a lady who gets depressed, she said, I'm going to go get a a gallon of ice cream and some chocolate and sit on the couch and cry. And I, that visual, right? It's like, so you have all the goodies, but you're miserable. You know what I'm saying? It's like, <laughs> no peace. Moving right along. The peace, that obviously hit a nerve. Ladies. <laughs> and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts in your minds, in Christ Jesus. How about Ephesians 3.19? And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up, filled up, to all the fullness of God. How awesome is that? You want to be filled up, not ice cream, but with peace, with joy, with gladness, with spiritual sustenance. Now all of a sudden you have energy. You have real energy to go do the will of God. Ice cream is never going to do it. From Sunday, go to Proverbs 17.22. Proverbs 17.22. I, I do hope you realize what the Spirit's getting at here. It's really not even about food. It's just another American issue, basically. Another distraction, another device that Satan uses to distract us. Proverbs 17:22 A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. How about Psalm 118:24? Psalm 118:24 All he's trying to do for some of you is break the cycle. You understand? You have way too high of an affinity too, much, too great of an appetite for certain things. And for some of you, it actually is food. But don't feel alone because look at those statistics I gave you. For a lot of people in America, it's food. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, uh, that person overeats because they're unhappy? I mean, if I've heard that once, I've heard it a million times. 
Why are they overweight? Because they're unhappy, so they eat. They eat their sorrows, this kind of a thing. There's truth to it. Psalm 118.24, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. Let us be happy and be glad in it. Amen? <coughs> Amen? Amen? Oh, sheesh. Still hanging on that ice cream joke, huh? I'll probably get an email. I don't like when you talk about me. I've had several people leave this congregation because they said I was talking about them. Kid, you're not. Don't be so self-absorbed. Here's where we ended on Sunday and Tuesday. Flee from distractions up here at the board. The cure for distraction, a.k.a. spiritual ADHD, is surrender. That's it. Surrender. God essentially has said, you just need to submit to my means of salvation and deliverance, and I'll take care of the rest. Stop trying to fill your belly with other things. Stop trying to sustain your own joy in your own way. Uh, do as I say. Give, and you will receive. Pour it out. It'll come back. Uh, that's my way. That's the way of grace. But... As we've noted, the resounding response to divine wisdom like this, um, it's the same as we noted recently with church at Laodicea. Go to Revelation 3.16. The average response nowadays, even in so-called Christian circles, I mean, can you imagine how unpopular the first half an hour of today's lesson would have been? In the average Christian circles, Probably, I'd probably get run out of Dodge. Revelation 3.16, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. In other words, what have we learned a thousand times on that one? Basically, the Lord doesn't like wishy-washiness. The Lord likes convictions. If you're going to be convicted, then surrender. Convict. Be convicted in surrender. If you're going to say, I surrender then surrender. That's what the Lord wants. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Oof, that is like the pinnacle of arrogance. Have need of nothing? For real? And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In other words, I have a year's supply of ice cream and hamburgers, my two favorite things, and chocolate. I don't need anything but you're miserable. must be something else then. It's really not. Revelation 3.18, what did the Lord say? I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Up here on the board again, we're coming out of the mine shaft now. This is from Probably a couple of months ago now, I think. Definitely a few weeks. Gold refined by fire most likely refers to righteousness and or faith. Allah, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. In other words, take in the word of God. Buy from me this. This is what is going to fill your belly. This is what's going to bring you joy. This is what's going to give you purpose and direction. And that is... Christ's good counsel. Again, verse 18, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I sob to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand. That's some of you, by the way, repent. Yeah, repent from your own out-of-control appetites. Yeah. Like, you know, not to be weird, but go on a diet. I don't know. Maybe it's a diet diet, but maybe it's a diet from some other thing that you're way, way, way too spun up in. You know, there are certain things that are good for you, but like Solomon said, there's a time and place for everything. And it's not always ice cream time. <laughs> you know what I'm getting at? Likewise... It's not always time to work out. 
You don't have to be Jack Lem I mean, if that's your business and that's how you make money and you're an actual, you know, like a, a exercise guru or something, that's cool. But there's people out there that over-exercise. People that over-everything. Because that becomes their idol. That's what they're known for. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to be doing all this crazy stuff either to be physically fit. So in other words, you can overdo a good thing as well. And the Lord likes to tell us those things as well. Um, as you know, the Bible is completely balanced. He never says, just do this. He says, do this, and then he'll say, do just the opposite. And that's why a person, an unregenerate person, can't make sense of it. They're like, see, the Bible contradicts itself. No, it really doesn't. It just says, like Solomon says, there's a time and place for everything. Sometimes you do this. Sometimes you do that. There's a time to work out. There's a time to go do... I don't know, walk a park with a track or something. Is it time to go call your best friend who's down and out, who's, who's been straying from the Lord? It's time to do, pray. It's time to pray. Be alone with the Lord. Um, <coughs> verse 19, I mean, you could, you could argue that tonight's lesson for people with certain appetites is uh, an exhortation. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, okay, I'm standing here before you, filled with the Spirit, who loves you. I reprove and discipline. Some of you are being disciplined right now because you're unfit, not just physically, but in a, a multitude of ways. And you know it. You're being disciplined. I reprove and I discipline. Why? Because He loves you. He's trying to straighten you out because some of you are in misery, dysfunction, junction. And some of you are like, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. It's like, hey, you know, it's about time. It's about time. I mean, you're a grown-up. There's nothing, there's nothing you've read in Holy Scripture that you don't understand. I've made it very simple. This God, the Holy Spirit's really good at teaching, much better than I am, really good at convicting you. So there's no excuse, really. You know the right thing to do. So just do it. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and what? What's that word? Repent. Oh, whoa, I get all excited. It's just tea. I'm not used to having tea over here. Repent. That's it. So there's no condemnation. Don't look at the bald guy and say, I don't like him anymore because he's making fun of me because I'm overweight. That's just, uh, how would you say, immature. And um, what's the, another word I would use? Uh making a scapegoat or making excuses um, that's not right and you'll suffer for it because this is not about me um, I didn't have to tell you that I was considered obese I don't know what to say but it's true they call me obese okay so there you're not alone I know you guys are like how is that possible it's just muscle <laughs> I was trying to loosen you up. Some of you guys are all tight. This is what it looks like out here. Oh, man, there goes my trip to Dunkin' Donuts after class. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That's the key. Just turn around. Just say, you know what? It's true. My appetite in this area has become my God. I mean, I, I look, look, look forward to this thing, and I plan my days or my weeks or even my months and years around this thing. Repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He's always available, in other words. Again, what's this all about? Up here on the board. True humility begins and ends with submission to the Word of God. Submission. You can say to your blue in the face, I submit, I sub I'm humble, uh, or I'm humble, I'm humble. But if you don't submit to the Word of God, that's false humility or pseudo-humility. It's not real humility. You have to submit to the Word of God. And when you're convicted, like some of you are right now, then your option is to repent and submit. It's that simple. It's not, I mean, there's no condemnation, right? You're not sitting here, 
uh, my job is not to beat you into submission, uh, you know, or, or call you up and say, hey, hey, are you at the gym? Or, hey, hey, get out of the gym. <laughs> For real. How many hours are you going to put in this thing? <laughs> Therefore, like a broken record, I submit up here on the board. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Do not be deceived by sin into thinking that Jesus Christ was a liar. His most poignant, targeted advice was always to take in the word of truth. If it wasn't him in their face, it's for us with the word of God, what we would call the word of God. He said, follow me. He's not here. So what do we do? This is, this is what we have. This is him. He's the word. We follow this. Base command. Follow me. There are no substitutes. Your, your appetite, your belly, for er, your appetite for earthly things will never lead you to Christ. Will never lead you to Christ. Ever. It's your appetite for Him. Your affection, therefore your direction for Him. And then, lo and behold, because He's not a liar, John 8, 31, 32 up here, Jesus was saying to those Jews that believed in Him, believed Him, if you continue in my word, <coughs> excuse me, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. <coughs> free from what? Your own self-induced misery, your own appetites for approbation, your own appetites for, uh, they were doing all kinds of crazy things. Seriously. They were doing all kinds of crazy things, uh, including, uh, uh, you know, throwing their wives out in the street so they could get a, a, a newer model, this kind of a thing. They did all kinds of things. Um, they were miserable. But if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said, follow me. Now, listen, our Lord has said to each one of us, in his spirit, God the Holy Spirit, reminds us daily, moment by moment, of this reality, of this request, this demand, follow me. And you know, we are to obey him. And we are to be fit to obey him. Follow me. Follow me. We are to obey him. As the Spirit has pointed out, we are not, and again, we're coming out of the mine shaft, collecting sort of pieces of, of messages along the way. The Spirit has pointed out we are not to follow our feelings about him. In other words, our, our emotions can't become our appetite either. We can't worship and serve our emotions about him. That can't be our appetite either. We're to follow him. And so the Spirit made a really stark point on this. Several messages, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. We are not to follow our feelings about him. For there may be many times that, you know, you're not so happy with the news his Spirit inserts into your soul. Like some of you right tonight, I don't know, probably some of the stuff about food, maybe you didn't like it so much. You're not so happy about it. But see, that's if you're following your feelings, what's the first thing you do? Well, that doesn't make me feel good, so I'm eh. But if you follow him, that's an artifact. That's just something that you have to deal with. You don't divorce yourself from following him because, well, you tripped in a pothole as you, you, you know, he's walking at, you know, four miles an hour, which is pretty fast, I'm learning, right? Four miles an hour, you fall down and skin your knee, you don't, you don't quit. You get yourself up and you go after him. But if your entire life is about feeling good, the first time you fall down and you don't feel so good, what do you do? You take a different direction. Maybe you turn around because I worship and serve my feelings. And as soon as I don't feel good, i got to get the hell out of here. So the, the Spirit made that point very clearly. We are not to follow our feelings about him either, because there are going to be many times, maybe like tonight, I don't know, that you're not so happy with what his Spirit has inserted in your soul. Or, you know, you don't like the feel of the under-shepherd's words when he teaches the truth. And it stings. So 
I mean, if you're following your feelings, you, your, your first reaction, your knee-jerk reaction is to shut off. Maybe some of you have already shut off. I don't know. Maybe you've done this. Maybe you do that every time something difficult comes up. So I'm done. I'm done. You're not following Jesus. You're following your emotions. There's a big difference. We are to follow him. Here's a big point from all of that. And again, we're coming out of the mind shaft. We trust him, not our feelings. We trust him, not our feelings. You can't trust your feelings. You just can't. I mean, there's certain times of the month you can't trust your feelings. Can I get an amen, ladies, huh? Huh? No? Trying to recover from the chocolate ice cream thing. I mean, there's times you just can't trust your feelings. And they're wrong. I know things that I learned that the first time I learned them, and these are like, you know, what we consider doctrinally sound principles from the Word of God that I am 110% convinced of now. First time I heard them, I was like, no way. Mm -mm, no way. I mean, I was flipping out. Now I'm like, man, what an idiot. So if I had trusted my feelings, I would have never repented. I would have never grown up. I would have never learned. And here I am, years later, totally free, looking back and going, I was in complete bondage when I was clinging to that garbage. That's why sometimes you just got to trust them. That's why I've told you that everybody here, if you, don't, if you don't trust that I'm acting on behalf of God, the Holy Spirit, then you should leave. Go find somewhere that you think that person is acting on his behalf. Because it's those times when you're worshiping and serving your emotions that I have to deliver a tough message to you and you don't like it and you make it about me. And now it becomes a stumbling block. And the reality is you're not, you're following your feelings, not Jesus Christ. You're, now it becomes feelings about the pastor, uh, my personality, uh, the, the, the examples that I use. You know, why is he got to use PMS and chocolate? No, for real. People have a problem with these things. We are to trust him, not our feelings. Amen? All right. Um, I, yeah, I'm gonna, I, I got a little bit more time. Let me... Uh, let me just come a little bit further out of the mind shaft and I'll close. Again, we are continuing our journey out of the mind shaft on this series. At some point, we've got to press on to other topics. Uh, here's a point from probably two months ago, I would say. It's been a long time. In my notes, I have sin equals lies equals Tashuka. I don't mean equals mathematically because those aren't the same. But I hope you see the correlation that the Spirit's trying to make. Think of sin, you think of lies. You think of teshuka. In other words, sin tries to dominate you with lies. It's how it gets the best of you. It has to lie to you because its end goal is teshuka, to lord over you, to dominate you. So sin equals lies equals teshuka. In other words, if you're deceived about the raw data of truth, you will always be a slave to God's enemies. If you're deceived about the raw data of truth, you will always be a slave to God's enemies. So it's what's in your mind that is of first importance here. You have to, at all costs, protect your mind. At all costs, Protect your mind. Here it is. Put on the full armor of God, right? How do you do that? Do you do that with feeling your way into Jesus? Do you say, oh, well, I feel good about Jesus today, so I'm protected? I'm emotionally in a good place right now, so I'm, I feel protected? Is that how that works? No. You actually have to take in the Word of God. This is your shield. It doesn't happen through emotions. You don't worship and serve your emotions. You don't fill your physical belly and expect to be delivered from misery. 
You're literally heading right back to misery. Those are all lies. Those are all lies. You know, when you see, when you, you know, you got your 70-inch TV and, you know, an Outback Steakhouse commercial comes on and the steak is literally this big, right? And it's like, you're like, that's going to make me happy. No, it's not. It's not going to make you happy. Protect your mind. Well, you know, do I really need to say anything about the sexual side of anything? Any commercial? Uh, any movie nowadays? Uh, yeah, that's going to make me happy. The human mind is that faculty that stores knowledge. The Bible says an awful lot about the human mind. I'll give you this before we close. Romans 8, 6 in the Amplified reads this way. Now, the mind of the flesh is death, both now and forever, because it pursues sin. But the mind of the spirit is life and peace, the spiritual well-being that comes from walking with God, both now and forever. And then verse 7 and 8, the mind of the flesh, with its sinful pursuits, is actively hostile to God. That's, a, that's quite a statement. Is actively hostile to God. That's not passive like you can keep God. <coughs> even even in, uh, in atheists it says, oh, no, you, you know, I respect your beliefs, blah, blah, blah. No, they are actively hostile against God. They say they're passive like they don't care and it's not this. No, they are, the Word of God says they are actively hostile. To God, because their mind is set on the flesh. It does not submit itself to God's law, since it cannot. And those who are in the flesh, living a life that caters to sinful appetites, there we have it again, living a life that caters to sinful appetites and impulses, cannot please God. Again, I think a lot of us can, the Bible says that even a believer can act like a carnal person. And so that means we can wear, like clothing, a life that caters to sinful appetites and impulses, which is why tonight's message probably struck a nerve with some of you. Because he's like, take that off. You're living a life that caters to sinful appetites and impulses. Take it off. Why? I love you. I'm disciplining you. I'm exhorting you. I'm telling you, I don't want you. Because I love you, I don't want you in dysfunction junction anymore. I don't want you miserable anymore. That's, you're headed right into misery again. Or you're there and you keep doing this number. You're just staying there. And I keep telling you, you're living a life that caters to sinful appetites and impulses. And I'm trying to deliver you. And I'm using that bald guy who most, a lot of you can't stand right now. I'm using the bald guy. I'm going to use other people in your life. Maybe you get this weird phone call out of the blue from so-and-so, somebody else in the church. Hey, I was thinking about that. Oh, shut up. <laughs> I mean, we can, as believers, live at least moments or stretches of our lives catering to sinful appetites and impulses. None of that pleases God. So our conclusion up here on the board, and then I'm closing, the deceitfulness of sin. Again, we're coming out of the mind shaft. Sin's aim, end game is to thwart the will of God. Sin lies to Shukar, remember. The end game is to thwart the will of God. The most effective way to do this is to insert false knowledge into the mind, thus defiling the conscience. And that should bring back a flood of good work that we did months ago in this series. Again, the end goal of sin thwart the will of God. <clears throat> the most effective way to do this is to insert false knowledge into the mind, thus defiling the conscience. In other words, get you so confused that you don't know what right and wrong is anymore or left and right. You're that confused. So we'll continue on Sunday. We're out of time. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful blessing of this evening. Thank you for this meal. 
Thank you for sustaining us in a way that matters. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned. Back to our own lives, our own homes, and then out to a world that's just decaying, Father. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.